most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Friday, February 18th, 2022, the 394th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. I was talking a couple of days ago about the philosophy as a life philosophy of scientific materialism, the denatured philosophy of many people in our culture And in our lives at this point, I'm sure that we all know people who represent this state of mind knowingly or unknowingly. They may not actually be conscious of the fact that their motivation to, for instance, trust the science is an example of that or that their thinking is short term in the sense that they find no purpose in anything beyond their life in this particular material realm. And I'm not suggesting that there are others. I don't know. And how there's something nihilistic about that. It may represent itself in different ways in different people's lives. For one person, it could be materialism. The goal in their life is to accumulate material goods, always believing that the next one will make them happier. It will show them as more successful and they will leave this world being a person who is thought of as a great success. Look at all they've acquired and all they can pass down. But many of these people don't particularly care about passing things down. Culturally, there is a diminishing in the importance of having a family to pass things down to. And again, I'm saying this as a person who used to be very much in this mindset. I'm 43 and have no children. So I'm not a good example of how to do this right. All right. I spent 18 and a half years in Hollywood in a completely different mindset and understand that as a member of the party of false decorum. The goal is to achieve success in ways that seem like success to other people. You're trying to become a success on the outside. And in some way, hedonism is a form of materialism. You are concerned with bodily pleasures, whether it's, you know, food or drugs or sex or the things that you can see and experience the places you can travel, they're not the accumulation of material, but they're 
the accumulation of experiences that you believe will just continue to thrill and excite you. And then sooner or later, you find out that the experiences you're having become boring. So you want more of them and you want more extreme experiences. And that is a road to nowhere as well. And then, of course, the other option is apathy. You just lose that lust for actually living and your day to day becomes spending your time and allowing the time to pass so you can move into the next day. And the days pass and the weeks pass and the months pass and the years pass and you experience them all in some way as an observer. And I'm thinking about all of this in the context of the vaccine and the choices that people are making. It would be natural to think that someone would accept the shot and join the medical experiment because they believe that they are doing something productive to potentially save their life from the very deadly pandemic. And if the pandemic was very deadly to most people, it turns out, of course, it's not. It's got a 99.9% survival rate, which of course drops significantly if you're elderly and already in poor health just like you'd imagine for any other condition. But a huge segment of the public still after two years does not accept the reality of that. They have to give up some part of the narrative, one would think, just based on the fact that they are still alive. Either the disease is not as serious as they were told, or it's not as transmissible as they were told, or their lifestyle simply doesn't put them in danger. And Trust me, I know that there are people out there who have cowered in their apartments for the last two years, and they think that is what has them still living. And they actually are completely satisfied with that because being in their apartments all the time while somehow still living in some sense is all they care about and all they want out of life. And you would have to think that these people exhibit the materialism, the hedonism or the apathy. Some of them have just been ordering food they like on Uber Eats and watching Netflix and buying things on Amazon. Some of them have spent the time traveling to other places, even though everyone else needs to be on lockdown, or they spent their time watching porn, or they've spent their time simply working from home and having virtual relationships online, and they figure they'll get to live a bold and important life sometime later when the government says it's okay. For now, they'll follow the rules. With the vaccine, you would think that if someone is taking the vaccine, they're doing so in order to survive, in order to prolong their lives. In some way, they're scared of dying, and they want this reassurance that they won't die. But now we've had the vaccine for a pretty long time. And these people still haven't given up this argument for the vaccine. And, you know, I've talked about this plenty of times. If you took the vaccine, I'm sorry to hear that. I hope the best for you. Trust me, I do. I want you to focus on building your immune system and getting better medical information and making more independent choices so that you can actually look out for yourself. 
And I think that that is kind of what it means to actually care about other people and their lives. I don't care about other people and their lives on my terms, which is something I kind of wish the vaccinated could understand. But they're doing something ostensibly to save their own lives. And if you dispute that, if you show them what the real data is, what people's anecdotes are, the adverse event reporting, the adverse event anecdotes, and the complete and total illogic about the position that the vaccine is actually in some way saving them, then you'll see them shift positions and say that they are doing it because if everybody does it, then everybody will be saved. And we've seen that logic used throughout the last year. People say that the vaccine is how we get to herd immunity. The vaccine is the way to get out of this pandemic period. But of course, the vaccine can't do either of those things because it can't prevent infection, transmission, serious illness or death. And the medical community admits that there is actually no benefit to anyone else from you getting the vaccine. The vaccine obviously should be only a personal choice. All of that, of course, makes the mandates ridiculous. But I'm not even talking about the mandates right now. I'm talking about the logic of one person taking the vaccine, believing that somehow it will extend their lives. That argument doesn't exist. If it ever did, it certainly doesn't anymore. And even people who have taken the vaccine can understand all of these things. And they'll present other reasons why they took it or why it was good to take it or why they might take another one. But they can't argue that the vaccine in some way is saving their life. It doesn't do that. The data doesn't show that it does that. And even just the deterioration of the vaccine narrative should show them that the data is headed in the wrong way, that those of us on this side of things actually do have a point about all this. But they don't care. They are subjecting themselves to what they define as the good of the larger community, which is a very powerful force for a certain kind of person, the sort of person who accepts the scientific materialist worldview. And that's why the acceptance of a scientific materialist worldview creates a breeding ground for communism and the acceptance of collectivist ideologies. So the key at that point is convincing people that what they're doing has a low probability of being bad for them, but is certainly good for everybody. And we certainly see that with the vaccine rollout, but we also see it with the climate change agenda and we see it with the cultural issues. Most people would not go around calling strangers racist without knowing them at all, unless they thought they were helping defeat racism for everybody. And that's what they've been convinced to believe, despite the utter nonsense of that view, because it turns out that they're doing the exact thing that they're saying shouldn't be done. And they're subjecting themselves to being immoral on the basis that it actually will ultimately be good for everyone. 
despite being unable to prove that what they're doing is actually helping anyone, much less everyone. But the vaccine issue in particular is really crazy because you go into it believing that you are helping to save your own life. And now we've gone down the line for a year with this vaccine, a year plus, and all of the rationale initially for taking the vaccine has completely eroded. Not that people won't still argue for it, just that it can hardly be taken seriously. There's no proof that the vaccine actually does save lives. They can model out ways and tell you that it did save lives or that it did prevent serious illness or death. But all that is premised on the fact that so many people have already gotten COVID already. And that COVID itself, Omicron in particular, doesn't really cause serious illness or death, particularly in those who are not vaccinated. And so what does the mindset for these people become when they understand that they actually haven't done anything to help save their own lives? And in fact, as we are always learning, it damages people's immune systems and makes it less likely that they will survive everything else that might happen to them medically for the rest of their lives. And so what do they say at that point? That they wanted to make it so that everyone could live in a world without COVID. If we hadn't been told every day by the media for the last two years and by everyone in the government and then all the child brains everywhere in the world, that COVID was extremely deadly. It is this horrifying pandemic. We're going to have to find a new normal someday because the old normal is just gone. Well, if we didn't have all that happening, would anyone anywhere have known that there was a pandemic happening? And the answer is no. If you think the answer is yes, you're crazy. I don't know what else to say about that. They've made the arguments again and again and again that if we stop using masks, everybody's going to die. If we stop lockdowns, everyone's going to die. In May 2020, a writer at The Atlantic, Amanda Mull, when Georgia was ending their two weeks to slow the spread lockdown, she wrote an article called Georgia's Experiment in Human Sacrifice. And nothing happened. There was no giant surge or wave. The hospitals were never overrun. All the threats about what would happen if we eased up on the restrictions, none of them, none of them came to pass, which means that the restrictions didn't do anything. And if the restrictions didn't do anything, then we could have just kept living normally the entire time and nothing would have been different. And maybe some people would have gotten sick. Maybe some people would have gotten severely ill and maybe people in extremely poor health would have died from it. But the truth is that people in extremely poor health die from all sorts of things and people get sick and get hospitalized for all sorts of things. This one thing people would get sick. They would take a faulty test that tells them they have COVID. They would be hospitalized. And then they would be put on to a protocol that is very likely to cause their death, remdesivir and the ventilator. But we decided for some reason that this disease is different and that we can't have normal life. And even trying to have normal life, even arguing for normal life means that you 
personally want other people to die, not yourself, right? You just want to do whatever you want to do while everyone else dies because you're not scared of dying from COVID like an idiot. (laughs) You just don't care about everybody else as much as the good people. The good people are happy to shut down society forever until we can get a vaccine. And then who knows, maybe we can open society up a little bit, but only if everyone else gets the vaccine, because getting the vaccine and wearing the mask and encouraging lockdowns means that you're one of the good people who's not selfish. You'll follow the rules because it's better for everyone. If you do, no one has to actually prove to you that it's better for anyone, but you're just fine staying at home for as long as you have to because it's better for everyone. Meanwhile, the selfish people out there, they want to keep going to work so they can make money so that they can feed themselves or their children. They want their children to keep going to school so their children can learn things and then have a future. That's what the selfish people want. They don't want their government telling them what they're no longer allowed to do, even if that thing is what allows them to feed themselves and their kids and keep their home. They don't want the government telling them what they can say or what websites they're allowed to visit or what people they're allowed to associate with because they're selfish and they must be too stupid to understand how what they're doing is hurting the collective. And you have to wonder at some point if maybe these people just simply want to die. They've been so denatured that the survival instinct is completely gone because these people have reversed everything it means to actually live. They think that people who want to be able to work and have their kids go to school and have a home and have a future. Those are the selfish people. While people who have had jobs working from home this entire time and have been comfortable and don't have their jobs or their lifestyles threatened, they're just fine with the virtual schooling they get because they live in a nice place and they have all the arrangements they can need, hire a private tutor, whatever. They're doing all of that for the good of everyone, even though Everyone else besides them and the people like them are seeing their lives deteriorate dramatically. And that's happening while the people who are being negatively affected are being called the selfish ones. They're going to be a threat to our democracy. They're fascists. But all of it is worth it so that we don't have to live with COVID. Hey, Even if I die from the vaccine or I die 20 years early from something else that I totally could have fought off if not for the vaccine, well, you died for the cause. You died so that people could live in a world without COVID. Well, how selfish is that when you are talking about ushering in a world without freedom and watching what's happening in Canada right now? I have to hope is a wake up call to at least some of these people, because this whole trucker protest started as a protest against vaccine mandates. The truckers were being forced to take the vaccine in order to do their job. Truckers aren't 
rich. They're not highly paid for the hard work they do. But it's an honest living and they deserve to make their own choices. And all of the people who call them selfish are sitting at home thinking, well, I followed the rules the whole time. I took the shot. Why do they get a choice? Why do they get a choice? Indeed, it makes no sense to mandate a vaccine that doesn't prevent people from getting a disease. You can't achieve herd immunity and you can't save other people by getting a vaccine that doesn't prevent you from getting the disease because you are just as likely to spread it. In fact, you're probably more likely to spread it because you're more likely to get it and you're more likely to get a worse case from it. And all of us from our own lives, despite any statistics that they might throw out there, know that that's true. Each and every one of you, I am certain, know more people who have gotten COVID after being vaccinated than you do people who have gotten COVID aside from that. I absolutely do. And so when we're talking about what is good for everyone, the answer is no one knows what's good for everyone. And you might even be able to say nothing is good for everyone. There are very few things that are good for everyone. Freedom itself should be good for everyone, but apparently it's not. Some people actually don't like freedom. They don't like what freedom entails. It is a riskier state of being than just simply following the rules and having your basic needs provided for you, which is what the system is designed to do at some point down the road. You'll own nothing and like it. But part of scientism, part of the scientific materialist worldview is that we actually can figure out what is best for everyone. But only once we take that set of everyone and decide that what we really need to do is find out what's best on average, even while knowing it's going to be bad for a lot of people. And that is the worldview that they actually accept. What is best for everyone? Well, everyone should be able to make that choice for themselves. And that's where the battle is now. And all of the history, all of the knowledge, all of the warnings that these people have been given throughout the last two years have meant nothing to them. Because if they accept any counterpoint as true, that means the whole philosophy starts to fall apart. And that is what they're horrified of. Right now, we have Canada actually implementing the sort of communist, fascist, Nazi dictatorship that we all believed collectively as a world we understood to be bad. And yet the implementation of that sort of state is being cheered on by these very same people that claim to be looking out, claim to be doing all of this for the good of everyone. And it's not for the good of everyone. They want to be able to travel. They want to be able to go to concerts and sporting events. They want to be able to go to bars and restaurants. And if someone tells them, hey, you have to join a medical experiment to be able to go to TGI Fridays, well, you're like totally obsessed with a pound of cheese fries. Are they looking out for the good of everyone? No, but they are protecting their own worldview at any cost.
because on the other side of that, they the death of their ego and the death of their worldview. And they are more scared of that than they are of their own bodily death in this material realm. And at that point, what is left to ask other than, do you want to die? Do you welcome your own death? Because you just simply think all of this is pointless. Well, not everyone thinks that way. And the people that don't, you're actively trying to cause their actual death. And that's where we're headed in Canada right now. So on Monday, Justin Trudeau put his emergencies act into place. And that was supposed to be voted on by the parliament in Canada today. But the parliament of Canada today, the speaker of the house announced that the parliament will not sit because of the police operation going on downtown in Ottawa around the parliament. And so they decided it would be better to cancel the session for today and just allow the Emergencies Act to continue to be implemented today and over the weekend before it is actually legally, constitutionally put into practice. And you might imagine that that's just because most of these members of parliament don't have the courage to stand up to this sort of power grab. But the truth is that many of them are fully on board with this because they need and want to squash the protest movement that is showing them to be exactly who they are. They still believe that they can get out of this. They can stop it without the damage becoming even worse to them. And so they're doing everything they can to make that happen, including shutting down the parliament to prevent the vote that would allow them to actually do all of this in the first place. And why would they do that unless they were concerned about losing that vote? And you would also have to imagine that they're not big fans of the optics of them discussing all of this in parliament while the police which is essentially just a Gestapo force at this point. There are police out in SWAT gear in riot gear to detain protesters who are peacefully asking for their rights back from a government that doesn't own their rights in the first place. Anthony Fury from the Toronto Sun tweeted, the Canadian Parliament sitting has been canceled today, a day where MPs would have been able to challenge Trudeau's use of the Emergencies Act, using the police operation against the protesters as justification. They are basically saying the implementation of the Emergencies Act has created a situation where it is too dangerous to debate the Emergencies Act. This should be seen for exactly what it is. I mean, yes, Justin Trudeau as a person, is effeminate and weak and an elitist and probably one of the softest men to ever walk the earth, but he is nonetheless exercising dictatorial power after seizing undue power and taking it away from the body constitutionally set out to possess that power, which is the parliament. And now they are using state violence against their own people. And by the way, the seizure of assets is state violence. In the last 24 hours, they have told protesters, 
do not bring your children to protest with you. If you do, you can be arrested and charged up to $5,000 for bringing your child down there. And what's the good of that? Well, they don't want to have their police thugs manhandling people with children in the middle. And so now today they have altered that slightly and they said, well, we're just going to arrest you and then we'll take your children and make sure that they're in a safe place which is a pretty hideous proclamation from a government who is already exercising undue and unconstitutional force against the very same people. In a saner world, we would call that government use of terrorism. That is what it is. They are trying to make people scared to go out and peacefully protest, to go out and make their voices heard, to go out and demand that the rights they possess are not stomped on by the state. And they've done the same thing today with pets. If you have your pet there, we'll arrest you and we'll take your pet. If after eight days, you're not out to claim your pet, then you have relinquished rights to your pet. Your pet is now the property of the state and they can do with it whatever they like. So they're arresting protesters, and now they're also telling journalists not to go down and cover the protests because they don't want all the unfortunate videos that are bound to happen with what they're doing. So they'll arrest the journalists, too, if the journalists dare go down into protest land. They have created no-go zones in downtown Ottawa where you can get arrested just for protesting over there. And they have fencing up around the Parliament House. It's not quite as good as the fencing that the fake president here put up after January 6th with all of the 25,000 National Guard troops and the eight foot fences and all the barricades and everything else. But they still have those areas stanchioned off. They're seizing money. They're freezing accounts. They're seizing crypto and they're telling anyone who has already donated that their accounts are eligible to be frozen too. again. The only purpose of doing that is to create a state of terror among the population. Anything you do to push back against government will be met with swift and overwhelming force. They are happy to ruin your lives if you contest what the government is doing at all. And now there's even a class action lawsuit against the protesters. Ezra Levant from Rebel News tweeted out earlier that Trudeau's thugs threw our reporter Alexa Lavoie to the ground. That's a journalist. Everything that's happening up there today is something that our State Department should be calling a massive violation of human rights. They should be making statements in opposition to what Canada is doing, but they're not doing that. And the illegitimate administration would never do that. We can't even imagine them doing that. Not only because they're on the same side, though they certainly are. And by the way, how weird is that? The United States is no longer the beacon for the world, the beacon of freedom for the world. Now we are just Canada's partner in oppression. 
And again, this is something that the people who are doing everything they do always, always for the good of everyone. This is something they signed up for. We have an illegitimate administration right now in Washington, D.C., who will not even speak up about violations of human rights by the now dictatorial government to our north. We imagine that Canada is a society like ours. And that may well still be true. So how far off are we from this? They're already talking about seizing the money flow from Americans to Canadians. One of the Canadian officials the other night, I believe it was the minister of finance, said they'd be seizing assets from people who support Trump. What does Trump have to do with it? And not only is the fake administration staying silent about what's happening just to the north. They're actually happy that all of it's happening so that Americans can see it. And so Americans are terrorized by it. That is what our administration, the fake administration in our country represents now. And we always imagined that the moral stain of repeating history from World War II or from communist China or communist Russia. We imagine that the potential for that moral stain would constrain the behavior of people in our society. And that's one of the reasons why people thought I was nuts for calling this communism and saying, hey, these are communists. These people are walking down the wrong road. This has the potential of being extraordinarily dangerous. I was called crazy for all that. No, that could never happen here. This is just reactionary bullshit. Really? Well, why is our government going right along with it? They don't care at all about the moral stain because they don't believe they'll have one. They don't believe that the people's voices actually matter. Any dissenters can be squashed. So it doesn't matter what you do to them. It only matters if the people on your side fail to ever make the moral connection. And if you could keep the people sleeping forever, that may well work. They would just go on down the line, take everything from everyone. You'll have nothing and like it. And in the future, they'll rewrite the history books. The 1619 project would be just the beginning of a totally revised history. One where January 6th wouldn't be seen as the Reichstag fire event that it was to install an illegitimate government to remove people's rights. Instead, it would be seen as the birth of a new society. That's where they're going, and they will continue to go there as long as they believe enough of the society is still on their side. And they're actually preparing for the same thing here. The Daily Mail today, Washington, D.C. police cancel all leave for next week over Ottawa-inspired freedom convoy that is heading toward the capital. And truth be told, I don't know how I feel about a freedom convoy in the United States. It's not because I'm worried about commerce stopping and it's not because I don't think people should be protesting mandates or anything else. It's just a little weird to have allowed the Canadian thing to go on for three weeks. It seems like they are trying to attach to the trucker convoy brand of things. I think maybe different solutions for different places might be more advisable. I mean, if the movement's legit and effective, more power to them. Obviously, I want this to turn out the best and I want all of this communism to be gone. I'm not 100% sold that this is 
the right move right now. But they're doing more to protect themselves from a potential trucker convoy than they did to protect themselves from January 6th after Trump had asked for the support of the National Guard and they were told, no, it's bad optics. But this, this is not bad optics. This is just fine. In fact, this is what we need to make sure nothing gets out of hand with those truckers. We don't want any bouncy castles or hot tubs out in Washington, D.C. Can't have that. You start doing that and sooner or later, AOC is going to pretend to get raped again. And I want to share just a bit of this article. Washington, D.C. police have nixed officers leave over the next week to prepare for a caravan for freedom convoy protesters currently headed toward the nation's capital. Sources close to the D.C. police department have revealed. According to the insiders, the department is currently mobilizing hundreds of its officers to spearhead a large response plan against truck convoys across the nation poised to travel to the U.S. Capitol next week in support of vaccine mandate protests started in Canada late last month that have since spread across the globe, News Nation reported. Next week, according to the outlet, forces of 500 officers each day will be formed to comprise civil disturbance units set to quell the planned demonstrations if needed. Protests in Canada have remained largely peaceful, with liberal Prime Minister Justin Trudeau blasted as an authoritarian for his attempts to stomp out the protests and stop them from being funded. To form these D.C. response teams, the sources said U.S. Capitol Police have prohibited leave and time off for all its able bodied officers. So Nancy Pelosi's Praetorian Guard is going to have another opportunity to wage another war against peaceful protesters. And they'll do this with the expectation of never being held accountable because they are only accountable to Nancy Pelosi. And you can't FOIA any information from the Capitol Police. And after what we saw on January 6th, none of us should trust the Capitol Police and none of us should trust the media. It might well be true that we get all sorts of legitimate footage that goes viral online showing what these police are actually doing. But in effect, what the media will do and what the politicians in the Uniparty and certainly the Democrat Communist Party will do is they'll use this as the false flag that Ukraine and Russia didn't turn out to be. And listen, they might well fail at all of that, too. But many of the mandates have already been conquered in courts, and I'm not sure entirely what the goal of this is. But you can expect that the response will be something along the lines of what Canada is doing. But maybe and unfortunately, this is what it's going to take because something is going to have to expose what these governments really are about at this point and what the people supporting these governments right now are about, because this is just rampant hypocrisy. The Canadian politician Maxime Bernier said today, This will be remembered as one of the darkest days in Canadian history and democracy. And he's exactly right. And at the same time, this week, we have this from Reuters. Canadian government condemns violent attack on coastal gas link pipeline work camp. And this is from Reuters, by the way. The Canadian government on Friday condemned an attack on 
a coastal gas link pipeline work camp in northern British Columbia, in which police said assailants brandishing axes threatened workers and damaged equipment. Coastal GasLink, a subsidiary of Calgary-based TC Energy, is building the 670-kilometer pipeline to the west coast of British Columbia to supply the planned LNG Canada liquefied natural gas project. It has faced demonstrations and opposition from environmentalists and some First Nations. And you always got to get the indigenous people to be along with the pipeline cause or else you can't say it's racist. And then you just seem like some crazy environmental terrorists. And you don't want anybody thinking that, even though that's exactly what you are. And remember, with the Keystone Pipeline protests, eventually they had to decide that the best way to go about it and the best way to build momentum behind getting that pipeline shut down was to claim that it went through Native American burial grounds, even though the plans had already been approved, including by the tribes. But you get Mark Ruffalo up there and then all of the child-brained communists around the nation believe that it's very important and very righteous and they have to get that pipeline shut down. And then Joe Biden did shut it down when he became fake president and a bunch of people lost jobs and America has become more energy dependent on other nations. Bang up job, commies. The attack comes amid heightened tensions across Canada as police in the capital, Ottawa, started arresting protesters involved in a three-week trucker-led blockade that had prompted Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to assume emergency powers. This is truly disturbing, Federal Industry Minister Francois-Philippe Champagne said on Twitter, referring to the coastal gas link attack. Violence and illegal acts are not the way forward on any matter. Coastal GasLink said on Thursday approximately 20 masked attackers wearing camouflage surrounded a work site off a forest service road and attacked workers early in the morning. They wielded axes, fired flare guns, and tried to set one vehicle on fire while workers were inside, the company said in a statement. The workers fled and the attackers vandalized heavy equipment and construction trailers, causing millions of dollars worth of damage, the company added. Police found the Forest Service road blocked with downed trees, wire and boards with spikes, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police said in a statement. As police made their way along the road to the camp, several people threw smoke bombs and sticks, injuring one officer, the RCMP said. No workers were hurt. Neither Coastal GasLink nor police said whether they believe the alleged attack is linked to opposition to the pipeline. Yes, very confusing. This was a calculated and organized violent attack that left its victims shaken and a multi-million dollar path of destruction. RCMP Chief Superintendent Warren Brown said in a statement. And will anyone on the left care about actual violence? Of course not. Because these violent protesters were only protesting for a good cause. They're trying to save the environment. They're trying to help us save the whole world from the sun so that we can live in a COVID free world where the sun won't kill the entire planet. And thousands of years down the line, we'll still have clean water and grass and trees, even though we have more of that now than. Meanwhile, you've got those yucky fascist truckers just trying not to take the shot like everyone else did. It's because they're so selfish and they don't care about the good of everyone else. Hey, commies, 
the world you're preparing for everyone else while you're doing the good of everyone else based on your own standards is one where there is no more human freedom. And they'll say, yeah, but I'm free. I got my vaccine. I can do whatever I want to do. I can travel. I can go to a restaurant. I can do anything. And they all say this. And that's how easy it is to erode the idea of what freedom is in the first place. The illusion that they are making all of the decisions out of all of the available choices for themselves is one that people like that will maintain no matter how many of their choices are taken away. They are free to choose within a certain set of options. And no matter how small that set of options becomes, they still have the feeling that they are free to choose. Except even that set of options is available to them only because they made the choice that they were forced and coerced to make. And the argument that they weren't coerced, they weren't forced, they just got it because they thought it was good. Well, that's not a good argument because first off, it's not good. But second of all, the coercion comes when you are told that you won't have the same freedoms unless you get the vaccine. And these same people, of course, are like, yes, but I am free because I have the vaccine. But once you've accepted that, you kind of got to give up the whole thing about how you're doing it for the good of everyone. And speaking of the good protesters and not the bad, bad protesters, BLM, we talked the other day about their financial misdeeds and how all of that is knotted up with the Democrat Communist Party and Hillary Clinton's team. And then the other day, Amazon suspended the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation from their charity platform, Amazon Smile, ostensibly because of the financial problems, but it could also be that Amazon has been funneling money into a charity that isn't quite a charity and is only a global money laundering scheme for domestic terrorism. They also have this going on. This is from the Washington Times yesterday. BLM Louisville defends bailing out activists in assassination attempt of mayoral candidate. A Black Lives Matter chapter took responsibility Thursday for the decision to post bond for an activist accused in the attempted assassination of a candidate for mayor of Louisville, Kentucky, saying that the alleged shooter needed support. Black Lives Matter Louisville said that it bailed out 21-year-old Quintez Brown, a columnist and community activist accused of firing a 9mm Glock handgun at the campaign office of Democrat Craig Greenberg on Monday. The Louisville Community Bail Fund, which is reportedly affiliated with BLM Louisville, paid the $100,000 bond set Tuesday by a judge after Mr. Brown was charged with one count of attempted murder and four counts of wanton endangerment. He has pleaded not guilty. The guy we bailed out needed support, tweeted BLM Louisville in one of a string of Thursday posts on the group's Twitter feed related to the case. Mr. Greenberg responded to the news Wednesday with a statement saying that, quote, like others who suffer from a broken system, my team and family have been traumatized again by this news, end quote. He and the four campaign workers at the headquarters were not hit, although a bullet grazed the candidate's shirt. 
Our criminal justice system is clearly broken, said Mr. Greenberg. It is nearly impossible to believe that someone can attempt murder on Monday and walk out of jail on Wednesday. If someone is struggling with a mental illness and is in custody, they should be evaluated and treated in custody. We must work together to fix this system. Chanel Helm, a BLM Louisville organizer and co-founder of the Louisville Community Bail Fund, cited worries about Mr. Brown's mental health and safety given recent deaths at the Louisville Metro Department of Corrections. They are calling for this individual, this young man who needs support and help, to be punished to the full extent. Ms. Helm told WHAS-TV in Louisville, it is a resounding message that people are down for the torture that has taken place in our jails and prisons. You got that? So the real bad thing isn't that this leftist activist tried to assassinate a mayoral candidate. The bad thing is the system that made him do it. And it's been reported by the Independent UK and other outlets that Quintez Brown was honored by Barack Obama's foundation in 2019 as a rising face. And he was also an anti-gun activist. But BLM is right there to help him out. And finally, from the world of peaceful protests under a dictatorial communist regime, this is from Monday in American Greatness, it's the great Julie Kelly. The January 6th pipe bombs look like another FBI hoax. In the 15 minute time span before the joint session of Congress convened at 1 p.m. on January 6th, 2021, two incidents that set the stage for the day's ensuing chaos happened simultaneously. First, a man named Ryan Samsel, after taking some sort of direction from Ray Epps, overran a thin line of police and metal racks in what would be the first official breach of Capitol grounds around 12.50 p.m. Samsel was charged and has been incarcerated for more than a year. Epps faces no charges. Joining Samsel were members of the Proud Boys and a still unknown number of FBI informants. Around the same time, a woman named Carlin Younger, who just happened to be walking to a laundry facility near the Republican National Committee headquarters, just happened to look down and see what she believed was a pipe bomb nestled between a dumpster and a fence right next to the building. Both events fueled panic in the nation's capital, just as a contentious meeting to certify the Electoral College vote in the 2020 presidential election got underway in the chamber of the U.S. House of Representatives. Then the news got worse. Capitol Police reportedly discovered another explosive outside the DNC headquarters. The New York Times immediately broke the story. The device that was found at the RNC was a pipe bomb that was successfully destroyed by a bomb squad, according to an official for the RNC. Reporters Maggie Haberman, Michael Schmidt and Katie Benner wrote. The package at the DNC has yet to be identified, according to a top Democrat briefed on the matter who was not authorized to speak publicly about it. The Times story went viral. At 1.53 p.m., Representative Elaine Luria tweeted that she, quote, just had to activate my office because of a bomb reported outside while the president's anarchists are trying to force their way into the Capitol. Capitol Police the next day issued a statement. The USCP hazardous materials response team determined that both devices were, in fact, hazardous and could cause great harm to public safety. Stephen Sund, the Capitol Police chief, wrote on January 7th, the day he resigned from the force. The devices were disabled and turned over to the FBI for further investigation and analysis. 
During a press conference a few days later, Michael Sherwin, the acting U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia, told reporters that law enforcement agencies, including the ATF and FBI, were collaborating to find the suspects who set the pipe bombs. The bombers would be brought to justice, promised Stephen D'Antuono, the newly appointed head of the D.C. FBI field office, who warned that, quote, every rock was being unturned end quote, to apprehend the suspect or suspects. The FBI initially offered a $50,000 reward. But as the FBI successfully rounded up hundreds of capital trespassers using sophisticated tools such as geofence warrants, the trail of the pipe bomber went cold. Grainy footage released by the FBI purportedly showed the pipe bomber in action on the night of January 5th, the time the agency determined the bombs had been planted. And in March, Dan Tuono, asked for the public's assistance in tracking down the bomber. Anyone who showed an interest in making explosives prior to January 5th, 2021, or possessed galvanized pipe, wire, and multiple kitchen timers should be turned into the FBI, Dan Tuono said in a dramatic video message, even if the person was a relative or friend. But more than a year later, not only has a suspect not been identified or caught, the pipe bomb story gets weirder and weirder. Politico recently reported that Kamala Harris was inside the DNC headquarters at the time the explosive sat outside the building. Harris, who inexplicably left the Capitol around 1130 a.m. on January 6th after attending an intelligence briefing, choosing not to participate as a U.S. senator in the certification of her own historical election, was evacuated out of the DNC headquarters by the Secret Service at 1.14 p.m., several minutes after the Capitol Police inspected the building after the RNC bomb was found. That shocking revelation means one of two things. The Secret Service, in a security sweep of the DNC building and exterior grounds prior to her arrival, missed what the FBI insists was a viable explosive device, a scenario that seems deeply unlikely considering the city was in a state of heightened alert and agents presumably would be extra cautious. Or the FBI is lying. Given what we know about the FBI's politically motivated malfeasance during the Trump era, the likelihood the pipe bomb story was another FBI hoax instead of a legitimate threat becomes more conceivable each day, which leads us to the woman who found the pipe bombs outside the RNC just before the joint session gaveled in on January 6th. Carlin Younger is described in news reports as a resident of D.C. or an employee of the Department of Commerce, but Younger's resume is a bit more detailed. On January 6th, when she took a midday walk to the laundromat and found the first pipe bomb, Younger was a project manager for FirstNet Authority, a public-private partnership between AT&T and first responders to prioritize emergency communications during an attack or disaster. Standing board members for FirstNet include the Attorney General and Secretary of Homeland Security. Several federal agencies, including the Justice Department, use FirstNet services. And a few weeks before January 6th, FirstNet received its largest ever commitment from a law enforcement agency, a $92 million contract for FirstNet services. That agency was the FBI. Now, perhaps one could write off as coincidence Younger's ties to a government-connected agency that just received a massive investment from the FBI. But in a media interview, Younger almost tipped her hand. You're on the edge of... I don't want to bother anybody. I want to make sure this is real, right? Younger told a Wisconsin television station on January 18th, 2021. You don't want to go down as the person who evacuates a city block for a hoax. But at the same time, there was just enough of that gut instinct that said, this isn't a place you would put a hoax. 
But of course, it was exactly where someone would perpetrate a hoax. Younger has since left FirstNet and co-founded a security technology startup firm. Her work with a firm funded by the FBI deserves at least a few raised eyebrows. And what about Stephen D'Antuono? Several weeks before January 6th, D'Antuono was moved from the Detroit FBI field office to take over the Washington, D.C. field office. The FBI announced D'Antuono's promotion on October 13th, 2020. One week after his office arrested several men for conspiring to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. The arrest made national headlines right before Election Day, with Democrats from Whitmer to Joe Biden accusing Donald Trump of inciting right wing militiamen to abduct and kill one of his political foes. But the government's case, as I've reported for months, is falling apart amid misconduct by at least three FBI agents and a lead informant. Defense attorneys are making a compelling argument of FBI entrapment for the agency's use of at least a dozen FBI undercover agents and informants in the plot. As head of the Detroit FBI field office at the time, Dan Tuono owns the crumbling Whitmer kidnapping scheme. Christopher Ray, the head of the FBI, has proven that he acts only in the political interest of the Democratic Party and the Biden regime. His agency has yet to produce any investigative report about the pipe bombs or official confirmation of how the devices were detonated. This all reeks of the agency's insistence that Russian actors hacked the DNC email system in 2016 until the FBI finally admitted investigators never seized the servers or examined their contents. No one's still trying to convince the public that two pipe bombs were planted near the Capitol in advance of January 6th can be believed. In fact, quite to the contrary, the public should automatically distrust anything out of the FBI. So either the Secret Service missed the device in clear view outside the DNC headquarters that day before the arrival of Kamala Harris, or there was never an explosive at either location and the FBI is not telling the truth again. The safe bet using recent history as a guide is on the latter. So they have not found out anything about the pipe bombers in 13 months. And in that same amount of time, they've rounded up hundreds of American citizens, some of whom didn't do anything other than be present at the Capitol that day. And they've subjected them to a ridiculously long pretrial detainment in deplorable conditions at a D.C. prison. And if you recall, that prison kept Louis Gohmert and Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene from even entering the prison to view the conditions. And you have to wonder what the story of January 6th would have been without that pipe bomb narrative preempting anything else that happened at the Capitol. Those reports were already out there all over the news. And the guy who was the one to breach the Capitol was the one who had just been coached up by Ray Epps, who still faces no charges. And of course, we all know the story about January 6th and how it's been used. The Canadian government, Justin Trudeau himself, they were using the January 6th event in the United States and trying to claim the narrative that that's what the trucker convoy would be. They even had Justin Trudeau's photographer go out there and take pictures with a Confederate flag and a Nazi flag. And those were basically the only times that those symbols have been seen at that protest, but they're still using them. Justin Trudeau accused a Jewish lesbian in parliament the other day of aligning herself 
with Nazis because of that, because he knows that the people out there on his side of things that have seen the news, well, they saw the Confederate flag and a Nazi flag in Ottawa. So what Justin Trudeau is saying must be true. That really is who those people are. And we have a complete inversion of reality. People who are standing up against a vaccine mandate and people who are standing up against an overwhelmingly, obviously fraudulent election are now domestic terrorists and the government can do anything in its power or even outside of its constitutional power in order to eliminate the terrorist threat. And at the same time, the people out there who think that every selfish thing they do is actually for the good of everyone are standing by and cheering while an ascendant global communist dictatorship is reaching its final form. But I know, I know. Who was I to call this communism for so long? It can't happen here. And that's when you have to remember, I only said all those things because I'm crazy. I'm a conspiracy theorist. You're right. It could never happen here. I'll be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, download the Telegram Messenger app and go to t.me slash I'm your moderator. I'm on Gab, Getter, Rumble, and BitChute at I'm your moderator. You can find my writing at I'm your moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcotour.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the show financially, there is a crypto wallet address in the episode description or go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you again soon out on the rain. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started.
It's high noon! In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!